BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. people who have sent me information who used to work for the archdiocese who told me that when they were working there they were aware that when joseph maskell was assigned there between 1975 and 1980 which was right after he left keo that he was assigned to the division of schools at the catholic center downtown in the archdiocesan building in baltimore and that one of his responsibilities was to evaluate foster children for placement. What a vulnerable population to put with that man. Now, I first was told it was part of Catholic Charities, and then I was told it was part of the St. Vincent de Paul Orphanage. I also was told that there were some high school students from either Towson Catholic High School or a high school called the Catholic High School, both in Baltimore, and that these high school students were assigned to him as like a work-study program to do filing and clerical work for him, and that because he was so creepy, they left. Now, I have not been able to find evidence of any of that. So, of course, in my naive head, I wrote to the archdiocese and asked if they had any information. I wrote to Sean Kane, who is the director of communications. And I wrote to David Kinkoff, who's one of the archdiocesan attorneys. And instead of responding to me, they turned my email over to a woman named Jerry Burkhart, who is the representative for child protective services in the archdiocese. Now I've met her very nice lady, but I met her at the mediation table for one of the Keo survivors who had no one to go with her. So of course it raised a big ruckus when I arrived because they didn't want me in there with her, but she said, Gemma's my person today. And I thought it's notable that the table where this mediation happens is a large rectangular conference table and the survivor 
and their person sit on one side of the table with their attorney. And on the other side, Jerry Burkhart sat between the archdiocesan attorneys. Now, I don't know about you, but I was intimidated. She's supposed to be the advocate for this survivor. And it was not at all evident that she was anybody's advocate. So she wrote back to me, and all of this has been on the Out of the Shadows page and the Keepers page, and also the page called Who Killed Sister Kathy. And her response was, we have no evidence of any student interns, and we have no records that any children were evaluated by Joseph Maskell. Of course they don't, because it's probably all gone. So I didn't stop there. Her next paragraph was part of a form letter that gave me instructions about how to report sexual abuse to the archdiocese. Okay, I can feel my blood pressure going up right now because you know what? That's the last thing in the world I would do. I would call 911 if my child or somebody in my family was abused by a priest and let law enforcement handle it. So most of the letter was form letter, and then thank you very much, blah, blah, blah. I didn't like that. So I wrote back, and I included the gentleman again, and I said, turned my letter over to Jerry, so I'm including you in this. And I gave them more information about how I felt and how we all feel, and that 150,000 people worldwide are waiting for some answers. The pages that we're on, Shane, were very supportive of me, but I have yet to get a response. I told them that I had been in touch with Catholic Charities, that I had been welcomed onto both the Catholic High School alumni page and the Towson Catholic alumni page, and that we were pursuing the information because whatever happened down there is a big secret, and it's not going to be a secret. And one former employee told me that the nickname for that for the end of schools was pedophile central because once the archdiocese ran out of places to shuffle these priests around they put them down there so that they were keep an eye on them of course while maskell was there he was free to go wherever he wanted in the archdiocese i also learned from a former employee that he was brought before a tribunal. And I asked a friend what that meant. The friend was an ex-priest. And the friend said it means that it is like a court, but it's a clergy court. So it would involve leaders of the archdiocese who sit in and listen to whatever is going on with this person. And I can't find any documentation of that. So I asked them if they could please provide me with that. So I'm not finished. I'm going to continue to be a thorn in the side of the Archdiocese of Baltimore until they decide that they're either going to stop lying, give up the goods, or I guess they can wait until the Attorney General is finished with their investigation and then... We're all going to say the emperor doesn't have any clothes on. I don't know. I think they could be heroes if they would tell the truth. So the last thing I wrote was just a very short couple sentences that I sent today. And I asked Burkhart, Kane, and Kinkoff if 
they could please give me an idea of when to expect a response to my last letter with all my questions and that the world was eagerly anticipating the response because I informed them that all of my correspondence with them and their responses or no responses are going to be made public. And if I I have a voice and people are listening and I have an opportunity to make a difference and there's not much I'm afraid of, so I'm going to keep on pestering until we get some answers. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Didn't they also tell you that Catholic Charities wasn't around during that period of time? They did. They said that it wasn't that it wasn't around. Catholic Charities is a nonprofit that is connected with the Archdiocese of Baltimore. And what Burkhart said was that at the time that I'm asking about, Catholic Charities was not affiliated with the Archdiocese. And that the affiliation didn't happen until, I believe she said, 1986. However, I have heard from a number of people who actually were adopted by families through Catholic charities and that they were from Baltimore and that it did happen at that time. So I actually have contacted Catholic Charities corporate office and I did get a response and I wrote and asked to please let me know what the history of Catholic Charities was in the Archdiocese of Baltimore and what the problem was and could we find some information. And the woman that wrote to me, I haven't heard back from her yet, but she was very nice. She said, your letter was forwarded to me. What can I do to help you? So I think she thought maybe I was searching for like a biological parent, which I'm not. I mean, my, we all look enough like my parents to know that we all came from the same two people. But yeah, so I'm waiting on that. And I have gotten a welcome, a warm welcome on the Towson Catholic Alumni Facebook page and also from the Catholic High School Facebook page who are willing to help and are willing to share this information. A detective came and knocked on the door and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts and follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? As we deep dive into these chilling tales, we all need a moment of escape, a way to unwind without the shadow of the night creeping in. Here's where recess mood comes in. Crafted with real fruit and infused with mood-lifting magnesium and stress-balancing aptogens, Recess Mood is your guilt-free retreat. With just 20 calories, no added sugar, it's not just a sparkling water. It's a sanctuary and a can. Imagine unwinding during a gripping episode of Foul Play 
with a can of strawberry rose, or my favorite, raspberry lemon, letting the stress melt away without the aftermath of alcohol. It's my little secret to staying balanced in the chaos of a busy life. You deserve a healthier way to unwind, to recharge, and to prepare for the next journey into the unknown with foul play. And for the devoted foul play listeners, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash Shane to get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Now, the St. Vincent de Paul Orphanage is where a lot of children in Baltimore lived. So it's possible that maybe some of those kids came from there. The former employee I spoke to also told me that she knew that Maskell spent time with juvenile delinquents and some kids, maybe like older, not real little kids, in the late afternoons and evenings, especially boys, taking them to dinner in the movies. So how weird is that? Yeah, that's really weird. The next question someone would like to know, are there any updates on Edgar? I don't have any updates on Edgar. I have not talked to anybody in his family recently. I think since his death, which was, I guess it's been over a year now, I guess whatever the police have, they're not going to share with us. If anybody has any information out there, please let us know. What did the filmmakers think of him? Do you know? Well, they would, mm, they don't make judgment calls on people. And again, I didn't, we didn't even know who they had interviewed until we saw the series. I had no idea who else was in it except for the parts I was in. Everybody thought he was creepy. I'm just going to use the word. They were very respectful to him, but they did approach him about the interview. And it's my understanding is they had an idea of what his wife worked. And I think they approached him when she was at work and he said they could come in and talk to him. And he actually did sign a release form. We all, that's not a non-disclosure agreement. That's something totally different. A release form means that Tripod filmmakers could use anything audio or video that was recorded with them. So he did sign it. I would love to see the whole interview, but because Tripod, and that's Ryan and Jessica and John, John was not Tripod, but he was our photographer. They sold the rights to Netflix. So they don't have all the footage. And Netflix is certainly not going to provide the police could subpoena it, but I would love to know more about each of the interviews. I've talked to John today and he said he would be happy to give me more of an idea of how that interview went. I think they were there a couple of hours, maybe. So it was more than what we saw on, on that episode in The Keepers. So that's something we can work on. Can you tell us, I know that you, the other day, you just met. Jess and Ryan in California. What other projects are they working on? It was wonderful to see them. I hadn't seen them for almost two, probably two years. They have, of course, most of your listeners know that they completed Ask Dr. Ruth, which is about the life of Dr. Ruth Westheimer. And a lot of people don't know that Dr. Ruth was a sniper during the war. 
She has a very interesting life. It's quite a poignant but humorous approach to her life. And she's so sweet and cute. So that was last year. This year, they have two projects coming out. One of them will premiere at Sundance, and it's called The Assassins. And you can look that up. It is a regular length documentary about the two women who were accused of murdering Kim Jong Nam in Malaysia. And they actually went to Southeast Asia and filmed that one. So the other one they have coming out is five one hour episodes that will be on Apple TV. And it is called Visible. And it is about the LGBTQ community celebrities who have come out on television. So they interviewed Ellen DeGeneres, Adam Lambert, one of my favorites, Don Lemon, Anderson Cooper, a lot of people we're all familiar with. And so it will be each of their stories. I'm really looking forward to that one as well. I'm looking forward to all of those. They all sound really good. Recently, I, of course, interviewed Tom. A lot of people wanted to know what your opinion was on if Kathy was killed in her apartment and if Russell and Jerry were involved. Okay, again, Gemma doesn't know everything, but I don't believe Kathy was killed in the apartment. There were too many people there up until late that evening. The police were there but midnight for the missing person report. And then everybody showed up. Everybody was there early in the morning. So no, I do not believe the apartment was ever a crime scene. The second part of the question about Russell and Jerry, I believe that Russell knew everything that was going on. I don't know about Jerry. I do not think either one of them was involved in Kathy's murder. I think they both cared about her deeply. I think they truly loved her. And I don't think either one of them was involved. I guess what confuses me is that Jerry shared with me that Russell had no idea who might want to hurt Kathy. And I, if, that's, if she actually said that, then she was hiding something. I don't know why. And Jerry has a hard time believing that Maskell and Magnus came to see Kathy the night before she disappeared because he thought Russell would have let them know. But I have a feeling she kept that to herself too. Yeah, what do you think? I think Russell knew about it, uh, knew about the abuse that was going on. I'm sure she assumed that was why Kathy disappeared and was later murdered. I also believe that I don't think Russell would have confided in Jerry because she may not have either known if Jerry could have been involved. She may not have known who all was involved, or she may have also not want not wanted to get him into trouble or endanger himself or her along with him, especially if Jerry cared a lot about Kathy. Russell probably would have known that if she would have told him, it would have put them both in danger. But I do think that Russell did know about it because I do believe Sharon. And Sharon tells us that the detective asked her that question in front of Russell. So I don't think that Russell would have let that pass without bringing up, why would he have asked you that question? I agree. 
and Russ and Jerry were standing there. So I don't know. It's hard to figure. I agree. The next part also refers to my conversation with Tom. I had mentioned that you had access recently to the missing persons report. A lot of people wanted to know if there were any other details that we could tell them that we found out about the missing persons report. I am putting the whole report because it now is public information. As I said, it was gotten with public information request in the appendix of the book that I'm writing. What I noticed mostly were discrepancies between what we thought and what is in the report. Discrepancies in terms of time. The report says that the police were called at 1135, which would have been very shortly after Jerry and Pete arrived at the apartment. I believe the officer was gone by one after arrival. The report also says that Pete McKeon found the car at three. I asked Jerry about that. He said that's not correct. So there are also missing pages from the report. Now, I did not file this request myself. A very generous listener used his time to do this. And when we saw that pages were missing, he requested it again and got the very same thing with the same pages missing. But those are just a few of the discrepancies. Most of it has to do with time. I also noticed that the police identify where the car was found as carriage court. And Jerry and we thought the car was at Lantern Court, which are near each other, but not the same place. And most of the neighbors who were and were on carriage court, so they could see the end of the court where it came out onto the street and claimed to have seen the car there as early as 10.30. So whatever happened to Kathy, I believe happened quickly, and that car was put back there as fast as possible. Personally, I think Billy Schmidt brought the car back and walked back into into his front door like 10 seconds across the street. I also have a suspicion that perhaps Kathy was in Edgar's trunk, which was why when he got home, he also got home around 10.30 or 11, his first wife told me. I thought it was early in the morning. It wasn't. And let her open the trunk. So he was gone the whole next day, and she doesn't know why. So I have some suspicions about what happened in that whole 24 hours after Kathy disappeared. Could you tell what part of the missing persons report was missing? I know which pages and I know what I've heard from like the newspapers. The newspapers claim that an airline stewardess was bringing groceries back and forth and saw Kathy sitting in her car. Well, the missing person report says the same woman was either coming in or going out of her apartment and saw Kathy's car with nobody in it. And that was at about, I'm trying to remember, I think that was at about 
$5.30. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. So she must have been back from shopping by 8.30. And then whatever happened right after that and the car was back but put across the street by 10 30 other people saw the car there at 11 and 12 so we know from a handful of neighbors that it was back well before the early morning and i don't know why the police didn't see it yeah i think that's really weird that the police didn't see it i do too there's a lot of focus put on school. what all do we know about magnus he was probably a follower I have heard that he was very violent. I know that he had, he suffered from alcoholism. He was also a priest at Archbishop Keogh High School. And he actually said the memorial mass when Kathy's body was found and we had a mass at school. I think we don't hear as much because we probably don't have as many abuse survivors telling about being abused by him. In our podcast, we had Michelle Stanton talk about it. We had Donna talk about it. We had Jean talk about him. Donna is actually the one who was responsible for having him placed on the list of abuser priests in Bishop's Accountability because of her report and her mediation. The church finally agreed to do that. He asked me yesterday online about doing a timeline. I think that would be possible because since he's on the bishopsaccountability.org webpage, we could definitely, maybe some listeners could do this for us or with us, find his assignments and start a timeline to show at which parishes he was assigned during his time in the Archdiocese of Baltimore. I also know that he taught in Hartford County at John Carroll High School at the same time that Sister Nancy Cavey, who was Keo's vice principal for a while, her name was Sister Jalissa, they both taught at John Carroll at the same time. And I also know that for the last five years of Magnus's life, that he and Nancy Cavey, who by then had left the convent, that they lived together. So I know she was there with him in in the end of his life. He died, I don't know exactly what age, but fairly young. Both he and Maskell died fairly young. And I have heard that Magnus died of 
illnesses that are related to alcoholism, but I've also heard that he had heart problems and that was the cause of his death. But I do think we could start with the assignments and the years. And if somebody wants to start pulling that information out of the Bishop's Accountability uh, website, we could get that online and people could add to that. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I do as well, especially because a lot of people don't hear a lot about him. Did anyone further interview Pete McKeon? Everybody saw Marilyn Radakovic, who was Kathy Sesnick's sister, call him from her home in Florida. And that was all authentic. She really did talk to him. But you saw when she debriefed with the filmmakers that he sounded like he was reading a script and that he was all over the place. He's elderly and he's still living, but I've tried to contact him and other people have. He's changed his phone number and it's unlisted. And so he's not wants to be bothered. I have heard from people that knew him when he was a priest that he was wonderful. He was a gift to his parishes and that he was a really good person. I know that Russell stayed in touch with him after Kathy died, but we really don't know anything about him since The Keepers was made. All right. My last question, if you can find answers on any avenue behind the entire case, what small pieces of the puzzle would you like to know? I'll answer on my perspective. If I could know any small piece of the puzzle, I would like to make a definite connection in terms of photo evidence or multiple people willing to come forward officially to connect Maskell, Edgar, and Billy. Because I think that if we could connect those three, that would be an important piece to make. So are there any small pieces that you feel like knowing could help with the case? I would want to know who Brother Bob is because I find Jean credible and I believe what she has said. I would like to know who abducted Kathy in her own car. And I would like to know the conversation between Maskell and Kathy the night before Kathy disappeared. Those would be really good pieces of the puzzle. That's a good one. And they're all concrete, both yours and mine. So I'm almost like I can, I'm dying to have this puzzle in front of me where all the pieces like magically fall into place and everything fits. Right now, it just keeps changing. <laughs>